radioinfluence.com. We are back for the midweek edition of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. That is Daniel Galvan. It is Thursday, April 20th, which for some people out there, this may be a day of celebration, Daniel. Yeah, somewhere out there, Matt Riddle is having a good time and he doesn't have to worry about the, the drug test from the UFC. You know, fa- marijuana is the one like marijuana is undefeated in the UFC. It has a one and record. And the one person it beat was Matt Riddle. But, you know, shout out to Matt Riddle. Shout out to Nate and Nick Diaz. And I guess one of the judges last Saturday at the UFC was also smoking weed when they were scoring that opening matchup between Edwards and Pudalova. But I promise you, I am I am stone cold sober as you record. I am sober right now. Yes. Now, if you come to me in about six hours from now, that may be a different story. As I'm watching game two of Lightning and Leafs, and uh, yeah, but by this time, uh, about 26, 27 hours from now, I'll be I'll be uh, back in the the stomping grounds of Tallahassee, Florida, at Florida State University. Uh, for my niece's birthday party, and um, yeah, cocktails definitely gonna be uh, consumed. Uh, apparently, one of the spots that she wants to go to is a rooftop bar, and I I don't know about you, I love me a rooftop bar. So, whenever you give up drinking one day, what's the equivalent? Like in in the octagon, we see people leave their 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 cages, they take their their, their gloves off. What are you gonna have to take off? Is it your shirt? Do you take off your shirt? Like when you and, and you're gonna have to retire in Tallahassee because I feel like that's probably where a lot of your drinking went, went I, down. I, I, How are I, you gonna retire? I feel like I just you know what I love to play darts. I feel like I just gotta leave my darts <laughs> laid in the bar. Yeah, yeah, that's when you retire going to the bar. Actually, that's it. No, you know, it's too. You can never retire drinking. It, it's uh, funny. I have a dart board here at the house. Outside of the, you know. Two, three weeks we were shut down during the pandemic. I don't think I've ever I've ever played on it. Wow. You should you should definitely I mean, I definitely want to like play darts with you, but you're on my team. Because I feel like you are an hey, expert. Hey, all right. My my buddy Chris would let you know this, okay? Jason gets about four, five, six Stellas deep. You don't want to play against me. It, it, it game over. You might as well stop trying. In your entire history of playing darts, has anybody ever been hit with a dart? No. Oh, damn. You see, no, yeah. That would be fun. You see, I would love that. Someone gets hit with a dart. That's my type of game. You know, going to those throwing axes, that'd be great if one person just got hit. Not like critically injured, but just well, like a, a nice little poke. Yeah, but in those axe places, there is no um, alcohol. That's like one oh, of the big that. things with those places. Is Because <laughs> I, I, I remember, I, I've... I've never gone to a, um, an axe throwing facility, but when I was up in Atlanta uh, a couple of months ago, we, we saw it there and uh, one of my buddies, Ben, he's like, he's like, yeah, he goes, the only bad thing is you can't drink in there. I was like, that does kind of make a lot of sense. We are throwing <laughs> axes. You probably shouldn't be doing that with cold cocktails in your system. That has to be a literal like law why they can't do it. Like city government probably looked at like, all right, they're trying to open up a business where they're throwing axes. We can't let them sell alcohol because you know they're leaving so much money on the table not being able to sell beer at the axe throwing place. But I mean, I my clumsy butt, I, I know 
on the backswing, I'm letting it go a couple of times. Like I just, I, I can't promise you a hundred percent accuracy on the forward movement. No, I would just be fearful. That thing doesn't stick in the board and flings back your way. That, oh, would, yeah. that probably is the part that scares me the most about doing it. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. So you won't catch me at an extra one contest. But I mean, look, I, I love me some bar games, man. I love me, you know, uh, Jenga. Love me some Jenga. Connect Four. I, I'm I'm all about the bar games, man. Yeah, yeah, I love going to the bar. You can go play some games. You might see Dylan Dennis get in an altercation. You never know what's going to go on at a bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to being up in Tallahassee. So I don't know how much of this week's MMA I'm going to be able to watch live. But I'm definitely going to check it out. But, you know, where we kind of want to start this week is uh, I will just go this week in MMA media, which I feel like we're going to get to Brand Roy Val because, I mean, he's like 10 sixing Muhammad <laughs> Makayev at this point. Muhammad <laughs> Makayev, do, do not interact with Brand Roy Val because he's straight up killing you on social media. But I, I saw this the other day on, on my Instagram feed, and uh, it was from MMA Fighting, and I just thought this was hilarious. Uh, this was Alexander Volkanovsky via the Mac Life. Quote, I remember saying to him, meaning Holloway, after the last fight, I just said to him, get out of my division. Stop beating up my contenders. You feel bad, too, in that situation. Like, what does this guy got to be here and be in my damn division? Obviously, Max is a cool dude as well. Great fighter. It's just a tricky situation for Max. That's for sure. I, I saw that. I just started laughing because Volcate wrong, man. Like, how, we have now seen this. I mean, what? I, what? was it a year, two years ago when they put Calvin Cater up against Max Holloway and we saw what Max Holloway did to him over there in Abu Dhabi. Now we see this fight against Arnold Allen. Like if, if I'm Volk, I'm sitting there going, damn, like stop putting these new fresh contenders in front of Max before they can get to me. Yeah. He's blemishing their records. I mean, look at who Volk's fighting next. Yeah. You're Rodriguez. What's a blemish on his record. Max Holloway. Um, Simply put, Max Holloway is one of the best fighters in the history of this sport. You know, he is someone that does have some gold to show for it. But maybe he would have held that featherweight gold undisputed for a very, very, very long time if Alexander Volkanovsky did not exist or if he didn't cut as much weight as he did from his light heavyweight rugby days. When you watch Max's stand-up against Arnold Allen, who... Should, in another universe where Max doesn't exist, be challenging for a featherweight championship at the end of the year? Jason, Max's stand-up, the volume, the accuracy, and the movement, man, it's some of the best I've seen in this game. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of these things that I think going into last weekend, you're like, okay, are we starting to, are we going to start to see the the fall of Max Holloway and no question about it. Now you want to talk about other things that stuck out to me on MMA social media, a guy, Jedi Goodman, he uh, posted the fight night weights for Bellator 293. And the one that sticks out to me the most is Kat Singano. She weighs in at 145 on weigh in day or, or, or 145.2 on weigh in day on fight day, 144.8. I, I, that was when I looked at these numbers that really stuck out to me. Uh, that's crazy. It, it makes a lot of sense because she's a 135-pound fighter. That's where she spent her entire um, pre-Bellator career. It makes sense, but 
it makes you wonder this cat literally just do like 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 kind of like a heavyweight where they just don't do anything they just kind of chill out and like oh it's time to win you know like like i i do wonder what her 24 hours before weigh-in was like and i guess i do wonder if that is her actual walking around weight or what's going on but uh it's very rare that you see somebody literally lose weight <laughs> before their fight basically in a weight class that isn't heavyweight but it makes sense. I mean, that's the women's featherweight division in a nutshell. You have a couple fighters that really naturally should be fighting those weight classes. And those couple fighters are badasses. Kayla, Cyborg, they have name value enough to create a division. But obviously, this is a weight class that is filled with bantamweight fighters. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at these these fighters. There were only two fighters on the card that actually lost weight from weigh-in day to fight day. The other one was Marcel Gomes, who weighed at 257.6 on, on fight day. He was 255.4. Now, vice versa, their opponents, Leah McCourt, weighed at 154.4 on fight day. She was 156.6, so gaining, um, you know, 11 pounds there. And then you look at over Daniel James weighs in at 265.4, clearly cutting weight to make the heavyweight limit. On fight day, he weighed in at 284 pounds. He gained 18 pounds. Wow. <laughs> that is really crazy out of James. I wonder, I wonder, um, that's got to be one of the biggest weights you can do fight day. I mean, I wonder if anybody fights at a heavier weight than that in in either the UFC or Bellator. I mean, that's a lot of weight. I mean, it's easier to cut weight when you weigh that much compared mm -hmm. to if you're trying to cut down to 135, for example. But I wonder, like, is anyone actually getting up to, like, 290 come fight night? But uh, it sounds like Daniel James probably has the heaviest, the hardest weight cut in the heavyweight division. I did not realize he was that big. That's crazy. Yeah, and I believe they already booked Daniel James in his next fight as well. I want to say he's been booked on the... The Chicago card, I want to say. Let's see what's going on with Daniel James. I'm just pulling up his topology. I want to say I thought Bell, yeah, Bellator, yeah, uh, Bellator 297 <clears throat> on June 16th. He's going to take on Gokam uh, Sakia. Well, look, Daniel's 41 years old. He's fresh off winning a main event on Bellator. Uh, Gokan Sirakam? Sure. <laughs> I that that's a perplexing fight to me. That's a real like like um I'm looking at Gokhan's record. I, I I almost feel like it is that I want to say Daniel James is from that area, so that that part of that could very well be um yeah he's out of Chicago Illinois, so that also could be a situation of they went to him before the fight and said hey if you get out of this thing no injuries we want to get you on that Chicago car because they they understand that he will have he you would imagine. He's going to have the ability to put butts in the seats. Yeah, I mean, damn, that's a good card. I'm looking at it right now, and that might be the next time we get real hype for a Bellator card. I don't know if there's one before that that has, uh, like, like I mean, Nemkov, Romero, Pettis, Pitbull, Davis, Anderson. Ah, that Pitbull Pettis fight. That's just that's just that's just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, Bellator 296. That is the Musasi Edwards card, which is an overseas event. Yeah, yeah, that's in uh, it's in Paris. Not ex super excited about that one. I mean, Musashi's awesome. He's a legend, but uh, that one, 
yeah. I just usually when Bellator goes overseas, they're like one fight fight cards. I have no idea what 296 has. I'll, I'll take a quick glance to to make sure I'm not you know missing out on a fight of the uh, uh, card of the year. Uh, and and it, this one does have a really good fight in Douglas Lima and Costello Vanstinas. I'm excited about that one. Brett Primus on the card. This is actually one of the better international cards they have, but I would still say 297 is. Uh, I mean. Pettis Pitbull is one of the biggest fights Bellator's ever put on when it comes to a hardcore MMA fan's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, and of course that premise fight is a part of the lightweight Grand Prix, which of course uh, has kicked off, and we still we still have not learned when uh, Patricky and uh, AJ McKee are going to battle there. But uh, yeah, but uh, some of these fight night weights, you know, some of the bigger weight gains from Bellator 293. John Salter gained 18 pounds after he weighed in. Um, and then uh, there was a couple of fighters. Brand Carrillo gained 21 pounds. Mando Nello gained 22.6 pounds. And I mean, I, I think that anytime you see these, it's, it, to me, it's just interesting to just kind of see what fighters are weighing in as they walk in there. You know, we mentioned about um, Muhammad Kaya really needs to get off Twitter at this point because Brand Roy Val is just butchering him. So Muhammad Kayev goes, I want to fight Brand Roy Val, ranked number three in Abu Dhabi. I feel like you won't accept, but I'll try. I can offer my fight purse thirty eight thousand to you if you accept the fight. Let's go! And Brad Royval's savage response with the laughing emoji, SMH emoji. I'm fighting for gold in six figure sex, not for thirty eight thousand. Maybe once you stop struggling with unranked opponents, you can add this to your wish list. Considering all that lay and praying you do every fight, no, no quit acting like you don't see Hadley's tweets. And then he had another one where basically he shows uh, one of his fights where no one's paying attention in the crowd to the fight. I'm like, yeah, Muhammad Kai, just yeah, do, do not engage. You're just you're. It's literally ten six at this point. Yeah, Brandon definitely won this exchange. He he uh. He dominated it, and look, will Brandon regret those words? He he might. Muhammad's 22 years old, but that fight ain't happened today. The fight could happen in a year from now, but Mokayev needs to step up in competition, clearly. This is a dude who, at 22 years of age, has showcased extreme potential, but damn, he's had extreme bad luck. When it comes to injuries, like a 22-year-old shouldn't be having as many injuries as he does have it seems like that's the reasoning for his lackluster performances lately and for muhammad i think man it's just get your body right take a step up in competition right now brandon royval is is looking like a a real deal man i mean he's looking like he's on the verge of a championship opportunity i don't think anyone in the ufc knows who brandon royval is because they put his butt on the prelims with matthias nicolau a four five you know matchup at flyweight i believe but for the love of god look at what these two men brought to you high action quick finish with the knee knockout it it was a nice win for brandon royval but man i tell you what maybe muhammad is brandon's ticket to being on a damn main card. Yeah, I mean, and Brandon Roy Val complained about that, and then after the fact, Dana White was asked about it, and Dana White, I want to say the almost, I feel like Dana White's quote was, we fucked this one up. He should have been on the main card. He goes, and I remember watching the video, and basically Dana's response was essentially like, look, we don't mess up a lot here. He goes, but we mess up. I'm going to tell you we messed up. And he goes, yeah, we messed this one up. That should not have been on the prelims. And and I remember that the week of the fight, I, I kept looking at it going, 
man, why is this on the prelims? Because, you know, one of the things about Brand Royval is the guy doesn't know how to have a boring fight. I mean, he's he's all action. I mean, and sometimes it's not going to always work out for him. And, man, he I mean, he looked amazing. Edson Barboza, I mean, I mean, obviously beating my guy Billy Q. And, uh, you know, by the way, if you did not see the tweet that Billy Q had after this fight, he's like, hey, sorry for ruining all your parlays. Uh, but, I mean, just a beautiful knee that Edson Barboza landed. I mean, you know, I, I think it's just one of those things of, and me and Pete were talking about earlier on our Fight HQ show of, like, sometimes you just got to look at your opponent and go, man, you got me. Dude, sometimes you just got to look at your opponent and be like, is this dude an X-Men? I mean, Edson Barbosa's got the best body in the game. This dude is absolutely ripped, which, you know, you may start to ask some questions when somebody's super ripped late in their career, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be really proud of Edson, and he gives me hope that in 10 years I'll have a body just like him. <laughs> he looks like he is in – Um, he, he said he's in the best shape of his life, and you can't dispute it. There's nothing wrong uh, with losing a Barboza like this. He is – simply put, when I tell you, Jason, who are some of the best strikers in the history of the UFC? Edson's name will come up, and he showed <laughs> why. Billy Q, go back to the drawing board. He'll return to form. Overall, man, this was a really good fight card. A really good fight night card. It had a great fight without Geo and Brown. I really enjoyed Jacoby and Azamat. Let me hit you with that little trivia, though. All right. Okay. So we uh, we almost had three retirements. Clay Guida did a little head head fake, <laughs> little head fake, and he's got yeah. Dana Crapless. Uh, but we had two retirements in the same fight. Both Zach Cummings and Ed Herman retired, yeah. and Ed Herman was the longest tenured active UFC fighter. He debuted in two thousand six at the Ultimate Fighter three finale. Um, so my question to you is this. I, I did a quick Google search, and MMA Junkie put up an article uh, five days ago by Nolan King, and the okay. title is Iron Man, the 12 longest tenured tenured UFC fighters on the current roster. Um, so I'll just let you say, I'll give you a few guesses, see how many of these uh, guys you can guess. Um, it, there okay. are is this 11 available. Total consecutive years or total years in the UFC? consecutive so arlovsky isn't isn't in it right okay you have to well be, yeah arlovsky yeah. would have been someone yeah that that stuck out to me okay clay guida's got to be on that list clay guida is now number two he was number three number two he debuted in 2006 jim miller jim miller is now number five number five really 2008 yes and the guy above him is going to be a little surprising but not that surprising. I would have thought he'd be number one. No, number one was Ed Herman, but there's someone there's someone um, that is now number one that's above uh, above um, Guida. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think back of being a longtime fan of this sport. Um, like I'm trying to think of heavyweights off the top of my head that could be in that mix. Uh, Max Holloway's got to be somewhere in that list, right? He is not in that list. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Jason, there is, well, there's only one heavyweight on this list. And you're going to be kicking yourself that you didn't get it because he's pretty relevant. Is it John Jones? John Jones has been a part of the UFC before Jim Miller. He is the fourth longest tenured 
UFC fighter. At only 35 years of age, he debuted in August 2008 at UFC 87. And Jones is the uh, the fourth longest tenured active UFC fighter. How crazy is that? You almost feel like you gotta, I almost feel like we got to go down the list of Ultimate Fighter uh, participants <laughs> to really kind of get Dude. some of these some of these names. Yeah. Okay. So let me let me let me let me get to you. Uh, let me get it to you. I'll, I'll go in reverse order. We'll get some okay. anticipation building. Um, number number eleven, who might be ten because I think one of the guys on this list is retired. Uh, but number eleven is Charles Oliveira, who debuted in two thousand ten at UFC on Versus Two. That was a name yep. that would pop in my head, but I just didn't. I was trying to think about when he might have made his debut. I wasn't sure if it was all back then. Then we have a tie for the next spot, and it features a guy who is fighting this Saturday. Brad Tavares is tied with Court McGee, and they both debuted on the same Ultimate uh, Fighter finale. I was at that um, card. We, well, you saw history. Number number eight, Darren Elkins, they debuted in 2010. Okay. This guy's, I think he's retired, but maybe he's not. Seven. Is Gustafsson retired? I don't believe so. Oh, so never mind. So that's active. Six is RDA. Uh, five is Jim Miller. Four is John Jones. Three is Matt Brown. Two is Clay Guida. And I will now give you one last guess for who is the longest tenured UFC fighter. And all I can tell you, and this will give it away actually, is in his debut fight, he knocked out a UFC Hall of Famer. His debut fight, he knocked out a UFC Hall of Famer. I'm having a brain freeze. And then he spent a lot of time with him in a house. Joe Lozon is the longest tenure UFC fighter. Okay, okay. Knocked out Jens Pulver that was part of the Ultimate Fighter uh, with him. Uh, although I think he's on Team BJ Penn, but yeah, so Joe Lozon is now the the longest tenured UFC fighter, September two thousand six at a uh, UFC sixty three. I think when's the last time Joe Lozon fought? Mm, I don't remember. I'm, l- I'm looking at his topology right now. Um, Joe Lozon has not fought since twenty nineteen. <clears throat> he's had he had three canceled matchups against Donald Cerrone. All in 2022. Wow, that's really surprising. That's a shame because that was so this was it was rescheduled from April 30th to May 7th. Then the fight gets canceled on fight day due to Cerrone illness. The fight's booked a month later and Lazone's knee locked up after the weigh-ins. Wow. I now remember that part of the knee locking up and, uh, I wonder if for Joe, if he's going to do one more fight and call it a day. He always had that personality to me that he would go do something else sooner rather than later. But now he's the longest tenured UFC fighter. He he came across like on the Ultimate Fighter as like a nerd. That's how Mm -hmm. I remember him. Uh, That was his identity. I don't know if he did something with computers or or not. Or or, but uh, yeah, good for Joe Lozon. Yeah, I mean, I'll say the one thing is his gym is known as kind of the go-to gym, the go-to on Saturdays to get your sparring session in. You know, it's uh, that Northeast area doesn't really have that. Like, you think about, like, you know, if you're in South Florida, you kind of know you go to ATT, you can go to um, whatever the Black Zillions is called at this point. It's been through about 20 different name changes. Um, It was Sanford at one point. Now it's, uh, God, what's the new name of it? 
I don't know, but Black Zillions was the best name. It, 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 it's a it's a, a sponsored name. I, I, I forget what Kill Oh Kill Cliff FC is what it is now. That, I feel like that I, it was Jocko Hybrid. What was it? It was initially Jocko Hybrid Training Systems or Center, aka the Black Zillions, and then it's just yeah, it's been various names over the past. And I yeah. guess apparently there must be money in naming rights of a gym. American Top Team and AKA man, they can go for a fortune. You know, it can be the uh, the crypto AKA center. Yeah, um, you know, speaking of things uh, you you've seen online, you uh, brought this article to my attention over bloodyelbow.com. and the headline is MMA Media Fumbled UFC Hawaii Question, and you know, this is one of those things where right when I see the author, I go, I already have a perception of what it is at this point. You know, and look, I have nothing, I have no issues of someone being critical about this sport, but this writer to me, I literally could say, Dana White could say, Hey, your name's Trent Ryansmith. He said, no, it's not. How dare you not call me by my real name? You all know what I mean. But uh, when I read this article, it, it reminded me of a comment I saw on Twitter a couple weeks ago from front row, Brian. And, and he had mentioned, he said, he goes, if you really look at what the UFC is doing, they have become a site fee business model. They are a model where they're getting paid to come to a market. And I think that's what this this Hawaii question is. And I'm not going to sit there and, and rail on the MMA media for not asking the question because I think for a lot of people that are in attendance at those press conferences, they just kind of know, like, I'm just not going to ask a question that Dana's just not going to answer. Yeah, I mean... I guess when I read this article and the thing about Trent that I appreciate is that it's good to have a guy who's like anti UFC and anti Dana because there's so many people who are pro Dana pro UFC. So it's a, it, it, it sets off the balance, you know, it, it, it's, it's a nice little, we got to have it in the, in the uh, MMA um, uh, little atmosphere. We got to have people that are on the extremes and, and you can kind of, predict who wrote what article by just reading the headline i mean there's people in the middle <laughs> yeah um but it, it, you know he kind of the, the the premise of the article that i don't get is maybe okay yeah he mentioned the the, the site feel like the criticism of the media to me uh like what other questions you know should should they have asked um about it but the thing about the article that I like is it, it, it makes you think about the topic and it's a very interesting topic. And and I think, you know, if the UFC is in the site fee business, it's an interesting question. Um, firstly, do you think it's a mistake for the UFC to be in the site fee business? No. Why would it be? Well, the reason why it would be you, you're giving up money, but you are limiting your places to go. Um, you are limited in your ability to go to Hawaii. You are limited in your ability to go to Mexico City and put on three championship fights. All these times we've had these like, oh, no-brainer. Uh, this fight's got to happen in Mexico because they have Mexican champions. Well, we don't have the right site fee deal. So that is what you're giving up. When you're selling out every event, aren't you making a crap load of money anyway? I mean, yeah. I, I, mean I, 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 but on the other side of the equation, I'm making the case against taking $6 million to have an event in Hawaii. So I can understand why a site fee is attractive for the UFC. 
I mean, this has been a Bellator business model for going back to the Bjorn Redney days. Like, so like if people want to rail on the UFC for doing these deals, you you better do the same thing to the Bellator when they do site fee deals. Like, I I think it's just, it's a way of doing business. I, you know, and I think the UFC looks at this and says, Hey, there there are going to be markets that are going to be in States that are going to be willing to pay for us to come. And if, if you can get that bag as a UFC, I have no issue with them doing it. I, I get I get why, you know, you could you could question the media for not pushing the question, but I think that when you've been around this sport for a long time, you gotta I, I think it comes very much of knowing how to ask the question to Dana and having the ability to get an answer. Yeah, like the, I guess that's the key thing. Are you gonna ask a question just to say you asked the question? Or is your question going to get new information that adds to the story? And I can tell you this as, as being a part of various shows throughout my years, being in the media, you know, there's, I'll hear people complain about certain things say, Oh, the tough question wasn't asked. I was like, was the tough question not asked or was it asked, not asked in a way that you want it to be asked? Because there are ways to ask a critical question, but it not come off critical. Yeah. Yeah, because there are ways to ask a question that doesn't make the story about yourself um, when you're asking the question. You know, a lot of times you'll hear press conferences, and and I hesitate to rail on people asking the questions because, you know, the media has been demonized over the past five to ten years. And as someone who works in that industry, I'm very defensive of, of the fourth estate. But sometimes you'll hear questions that, it comes across that the question is made for the social media clip without the intention of getting a real answer. Um, And that leads into the narrative that Dana pushes that attacks the media. Granted, it doesn't matter what the media says. Dana is going to have that narrative about the media because it suits his best interest to have that narrative, right? The more he can weaken the media in the eyes of the fans, the more power he has over them. And, and, you know, we see that in non-sports situations. We see that in authoritarian governments, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a push pull, but I hope people don't lean into giving him more material to work with. I mean, look at the end of the day, we know the way Dana views the media. He views the media as an extension of his PR department. Let's, I mean, and, and if I'm in Dana white shoes, do I have the same thought process? No question. Like I, I think yeah. sometimes I think there's, there's times I see things and I just, I look at people and say, are you looking through the story through your lenses or are you trying to look at through someone else's lenses? And, and, and I think that's sometimes in a media where um, we have to look at both sides of the story to understand why one side is coming at it from a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, look, Dana is in a world that he helped create mm-hmm. and he benefited from it. Dude, dude slapped his wife. Dude still has a job. And it's not the media's fault. It's it's uh, Endeavor's fault for not punishing him, right? I mean, the same way, you know, um, you know, this when an institution doesn't punish people for doing bad actions, it's on the institution. It's not on the media, uh-huh. and and it's on Endeavor. But there's no hard question for Emmanuel when he's 
when he's out in the public. He rarely is out in the public. I mean, he was out in the public with the man who appeared to be Vincent Mann on CNBC a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, that's where the tough questions come into play. And and we've ne- we have not had um, a real answer from Endeavor, and we never freaking will. No, and it, I, it, yeah, it's, I, I I feel like it's it's a story that it was a hot topic for a week, two weeks, three weeks, maybe. But I, I think it's it's kind of that story that while people know about it, it's kind of it's it's out of the news cycle. And I mean, and I'm, dude, I'm yeah. and I I truly wonder this is if ultimately the reason Vince McMahon sold to Endeavor was that played into his decision. He saw how they handled the Dana situation. And he looked at it in a way of, this is a way for me to get my company back. I think think the biggest part of the equation for Vince was remaining in power. And, you know, you see it. Well, first off, Vince shouldn't be in power because of what he did. But you see it with a lot of these really old, really successful men who can't let go of their business. It's like a real life version of the TV show succession. Mm-hmm. You Rupert Murdoch can't let go of Fox news. Um, the guy who owned summer Redstone, he was, he owned Viacom, right? Was it Viacom? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it was Viacom. He couldn't really let go of that empire and he was losing it. Well, I- um, you, you they know, don't want to get, I, I can't blame someone for not wanting to give up on it because what's next? Uh, just being retired and waiting for your inevitable death. I mean, that's depressing as hell. I mean, look, I would say as, I mean, if I call myself a casual wrestling consumer, you know, I check it out every once in a while, but from my vantage point, it just seems like Vince has lost that. He just doesn't understand what today's wrestling fan wants to see. Yeah, I mean, Vince to me is just um, having grown up on his product when it started to not be good. He just seems like someone who lives in his own bubble. And because he had so much success, it's justified when he lives in his own bubble. It's justified for him because, well, look at where I took this business from the mid 80s to the global empire that it is now. Why would I trust anyone else? But eventually, you start to lose it, right? Eventually, Joe Paterno doesn't call the best plays. Mm -hmm. And obviously, he had a lot bigger issues than just that, which is why he left. But you look at some, you know, you look at some of these older coaches in in sports, and eventually they lose their their fastball. You know, Tony LaRusso wasn't the greatest manager, although before he left, his team was doing pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, Vince lost his fastball, but to me, he lost his fastball for since the, since 2006 onwards. The product hasn't been great, but it's benefited from the monopoly that the WWE had until AEW came aboard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I think, one of the most fascinating parts of that story, and I think we're not going to know answer that about this, maybe for another, maybe it's a year of do we potentially see performers exit out because they just don't like the direction of the company? I, I think that's going to be the most interesting thing. Dude, dude, the biggest, this, this is the most interesting thing about Endeavor and the WWE for me, the pay cuts, yeah. the downsizing. We've seen how Endeavor, 
I mean, you can think about this. $6 million site fee for Hawaii. That's a crap load of money before you sell a freaking ticket, mm-hmm. before you sell a crappy UFC jersey. How much money are these people making profit? You know, Endeavor is a money-making I... business. They are cold-hearted. They are ruthless. They're damn good at their job. That, to me, is the most interesting thing is how that plays out when the WWE – because the WWE historically is not that um, – I think the word is frugal I'm looking for when it comes to their 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 um, expenditures. Look, it's – I mean, there there's so many times when these stories come out about how much money Endeavor's making or how much money the UFC's making. And you just kind of think about it as like uh, – and, and I forget who I was listening. It was an MMA podcast I was listening to, and they, they were kind of – alluding to this stuff and it's like but we can't get more than a fifty thousand dollar bonus i know that's um that's that's nothing that's nothing for the ufc but yeah well, i mean just, look at okay look at the muhammad mukayev thirty eight thousand. he's had five fights in the ufc yeah and how much you think brandon royval got paid for his fight you know he's the fourth ranked fifth ranked dude in his entire weight class um yeah, man, it's it, it's crazy, but um, yeah, I mean, you but, know, I, but I'm also one of these people that I don't think we should necessarily know what the fighters make. Like, if if they want to oh, let I us know, because look, in, in other in other sports, the reason we know what these players make it's twofold: a, the agents are putting it out there because it's a way for them to market themselves, and b, it, it's collectively bargained. Like, I I I look at it from like if I if I was in Name, name let's just say brand roy val as an example would i want the public to know how much money i make yeah the answer is no no but you should you should know you i the reason why i think the answer is yes is because okay personally do i really want people to know what i make me personally my new job do i really want people to know what i make no but as an athlete i actually would rather that information go public because let me tell you this. Here's a, here's a story. Here's a story. I'll, the story is this is um, actually I wouldn't even say the story. I, I I'll just say this. If everyone in your office, okay, here's the thing. You work in an office, right? Mm-hmm. You make yeah. whatever. The boss accidentally sends an email to everyone in the office that discloses everyone's salaries. You know what's going to happen the next day. Everyone's getting a raise. So that's my point. If I was a fighter, the more people know about everybody else's salary, the more it goes up. The UFC can't play hardball um, as much with them. That's my argument. Look, I understand where you're coming from. I, I think I probably look at more from a fighter aspect of saying, do I want everyone to know how much money is in my bank account or how much money is getting direct deposit into my bank account on a Saturday night, a, a Sunday afternoon, a Monday morning, whenever that, that deposit comes rolling you know, through? I think that I just look at it for more from that aspect of things of, you know, because I could see where I can see the bad things that can't happen when it's known how much money you make. But I mean, look, I don't I don't think anything's going to change MMA on this anytime soon. I mean, I, yeah, I just I think mean, we're going to, it's going to be, I mean, look, I mean, 
for the most part, I mean, there's, there's only a handful of states where you can actually, where salaries are disclosed. Yeah, the equivalent to mixed martial arts from that perspective is actually professional wrestling. It's not publicly available what each professional wrestler makes. Um, so, I mean, there is the push-pull. There is the dynamic. And, again, I, I would side on pro-public disclosure of, of your income just so you – just so people know your, you know, what others are making so you can negotiate more. But um, – at the end of the day, everyone knows they're getting screwed anyway. So <laughs> everyone knows they're getting screwed. But I would love, I would love to know. I would really love to know the buy rates on these pay per views, like specifics. Oh god, yeah, that would be that would be tremendous to know. Because that would really tell us the health of this sport. That would really tell us who's a star, you know, and, and whatnot. We have vibes, we have feelings, we see yeah. social media. But yeah, and, and there's no incentive for a private company to release that information. It extends not only to that, but to streaming. There's no incentive for Netflix and Disney Plus to to divulge the streaming situation. I, I do think some of that has to be divulged due to um, being a public company, but they don't have to divulge how many people watch this specific show. Yeah. They don't need to divulge that information, and that to me would be very interesting. Even though I do think it's hilarious that Netflix has a new show called Florida Man. <laughs> I, haven't I haven't watched it yet, that. but it's definitely something I want. I do want to take in. Yeah, I uh, I saw I saw the show Beef, which I liked a lot. That was a pretty good one. Although since that show Beef came out, uh, one of the actors on it, like a supporting actor named David Cho, mm-hmm. like a, a clip that went viral that he's like been trying to get taken down. Of him basically admitting to raping some like a like a raping Jesus. basically like he basically did a like a Deshaun Watson situation where okay. he was doing a masseuse thing and then he like yeah so he basically admitted to it on a podcast in a joking fashion and I was just like well that's over that's a wrap on that show what an idiot well first off and he and I believe he's like now said that it, it was a joke but. Uh, some things aren't funny and I kind of feel like it wasn't a joke, but yeah. Yeah. So just, that was a really bad digression, but that, that show was really good. And then that just happened. I was like, I'm just never going to talk about this show again because I could never not mention this, but here's what, yeah. See, the thing is, I just, I don't watch a lot of TV. I really don't. And so like, there's times where like, you know, it's a, a Wednesday night and I'm just chilling on the couch and I just start going through Netflix and I'm like, oh, like I'll give you an example. The other day I saw some mob miniseries on on Netflix. It was about uh, basically how the mob took over uh, New York City. And then I was like, oh, man, that's cool. I was like, oh, this came out three years ago. <laughs> yeah, we kind of get on a time machine and talk to people back then. But, you know, that's that's the streaming. We have everything at our fingertips, um, which is cool. But it's also like there isn't really that water cooler conversation. Yeah. But okay, when there is the water cooler conversation, that's how you know something was really popular. It was re- the same way like – and I don't even think you saw this show. But when Squid Games – did you see Squid Games? No, I've never seen it. You that. were like one of 14 people on the planet that didn't see Squid Games. <laughs> but everyone saw that show and it becomes a conversation. Uh, 
You know, like when we talk about sports, combat sports, like the water cooler conversation this week is not a mixed martial arts fight, right? The water cooler conversation in combat sports is Garcia and Davis, Ryan Garcia, Gervonta yeah. Davis. We got three um, fight cards from the UFC and Bellator combined. We got a fight in Poland. We got a fight card in one FC. LFA's running something, but it's 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 Davis Garcia. If you're talking combat sports on the water cooler on Monday morning in the office, no doubt about. It. Like I, I mentioned this question to you before the show, and I said, you know, what's the best MMA fight of the weekend? Or maybe 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 the more appropriate question is. What is the MMA fight that interests you the most? Is it the UFC main event on Saturday of Curtis Blades and Sergey Pavlovich, or is it the Bellator main event of Patchy Mix and Rafael Stotts? And I believe that if we polled 20 MMA fans, I feel like, and saying it's MMA fan that that takes in all of mixed martial arts, just doesn't take in UFC content, I feel like they probably would say it's Patchy Mix versus Rafael Stotts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, immediately, that was my pick, uh, Stouts and Mix. I think a big reason why is I just immediately hear the name Curtis Blades, and I don't get very excited because he has a reputation as a wrestler who's willing to lay and pray. Mm -hmm. But I take a step back, think about it. Eh, Curtis Blades in the fight before Aspinall got that finish over Dalkus. He is powerful. He is he is a, a strong strong fighter that can finish fights, and he is really effing good. And on the flip side, you know Sergey Pavlovich is someone who might in fact be a heavyweight champion. I mean, he's been a stand-in as a replacement fighter for championship fights. It's a really good heavyweight matchup, and I think I shortchanged it when I immediately thought about it. But with that being said. Mix and Stouts is still my pick for the best fight of the weekend. These two guys are just so incredibly talented. They've had a phenomenal runs, both of them, in Bellator. I don't think Stouts has actually even lost in Bellator. It's a great bantamweight matchup, and it, to me, is, is befitting of a championship-caliber matchup as we've got the interim champion in action. I'm still going Stouts and Mix. It's a damn good fight. I mean – it seems like it's a fight that isn't getting any buzz in the MMA world, but it is a damn good fight. Oh, I don't think there's a lot of buzz about Bellator in general. And, and by the way, speaking of Bellator, should note uh, Deanna Bennett missed weight today for her title fight against Liz Carmouche in the main event of Bellator 294. Uh, Bellator gave a statement to MMA Junkie that said Deanna Bennett weighed in 127 pounds and missed weight for her bout against Liz Carmouche for the Bellator flyweight title. Carmouche has chosen to keep her title on the line, meaning if she loses the fight, the title will become vacant. So what? Uh, oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. I yeah, I mean, say, like, look, lose it to Bennett. Like, as I look at this, we'll, we'll start with the Friday Bellator show. This is the fight for the troops show that they put on when they go to Hawaii and um, not exactly a sexy fight card. Let's just, I mean, I guess that's a way of being nice about it, Daniel. Like if I, if I sat there and said, I mean, like, look, you know, um, you got, you know, Sarah McMahon making her Bellator debut going up to 145 against Arlene Blinko. I, I talked about a fight HQ earlier today. I think uh, if you're looking, if you're in a state that you can make a legal wager, uh, Arlene Blinko, at, I want to say she's plus 165, I think is something kind of interesting with McMahon now moving up in, in weight of what does she look like at 145 as opposed to 135 pounds. Uh, you know, Danny Sabatello, you know, I'm always interested to see Danny and, 
God knows what he might say if he gets the win over against Marcus Bueno. I mean, he, you know, it's going to be noteworthy and every MMA website's going to put out there. Um, but you know, overall the Friday card, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't get me all giddy to, if, if I were home on Friday night to sit home on Friday night to watch this fight card, this is kind of one of those cards. I feel like a lot of people are just going to probably take it after the fact. If, if there's an understanding that there were some great fights on it. You see, the problem with this fight card is probably the co-main event here. If this had a much more exciting co-main event, it would just be – it would be better. Uh, like Liz Carmouche is not the most – Liz Carmouche doesn't have a great reputation. But I tell you what, man. She's finished four of her five fights in Bellator. I think her fight style generally isn't excited because generally you think, well, she's kind of like Curtis Blades, top control – grappling position dominant but i think liz has become so talented and there's such a a talent gap between her and everybody else in the weight class that she's now able to finish fights so now i've kind of talked myself into getting excited about liz carmouche fights because now i'm like she's gonna go in here she's gonna finish diana bennett for the second time so i'm into that timothy johnson and say and saeed that to me is a very weak coming event um when the hell did Danny Sabatella get on this fight card? Has this fight been in the books for a long time? No, like not recent? that long. I, I feel like it was announced within like the last three, four weeks. I mean, sometimes okay. with these belts were fight. Well, I mean, the thing is, sometimes Bellator, these fights are already booked. They just haven't been officially announced. Like, I, I've had fighters, you know, say to me, I'll be like, I hey, mean, you know, this fight was only announced like two weeks ago. Like, oh, man, I know for six weeks. That's crazy because actually, that Danny Sabatello fight kind of changes my opinion about Bellator 294 because I already had an opinion about this fight card like a couple whenever the fights are originally announced for this one at 295 I was like this one is really bad and now I would just say it's a below average fight card because the Danny Sabatello fight that one works for me I'm excited to watch Danny Sabatello fight he is a he 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 turned himself into a star during the tournament mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see the next part of his journey um, Sarah McMahon also isn't very exciting, but let's see what goes on in Bellator. See if she's able to do something right. You know, we'll see. You know, UFC fighters fighting outside of the promotion generally don't 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 do too well, right? Shane Burgos. But um, sorry, that was a cheap shot. That was a cheap shot to Shane Burgos. I'm super sorry. He had a tough matchup against a really good fighter. But I, uh, I, bro, I still don't understand that matchmaking. I don't understand that matchmaking. But bro, here's the crazy thing. All right, you, you see that matchmaking with him and Oliver Aubin Messier, and you're like, well, Aubin's going to outgrapple the hell out of him. Bro, Oliver outstruck his butt in the first round. I was like, what the hell is going on? Um, Burgos picked things up on the feet in two and three. He, he became more aggressive, but straight up, o, OAM is like, that's a dude in this weight class. Like, for him to handle Burgos like that, that's a straight up dude, but uh, yeah, that's a that's not a way you build up a star is to, to immediately put him in the deep end with one of your most dangerous guys, and it's a bad matchup. But when you look at the Saturday Bellator card, it's a great lineup. Yeah, obviously the main event's great with, with Stotts and Mix. Aaron Pico's got a new opponent, James Gonzalez. I saw a headline where I guess 
five or six. He, he mentioned five or six fires uh, turned down this matchup here. Uh, Ray Borg, Koji Horiguchi, obviously a great matchup there at, at 125 pounds. And, you know, there's some other, you know, fires on this card that do intrigue me a lot. I mean, I've, Giannis Medeiros is always just one of those guys. I just, I love watching him fight. You know, I think we were talking about this last week of, you know, th- there's these fighters that no matter win or who they're fighting you're like you know what i just like watching that guy fight and, and yas Medeiros is one of them there's a, there's a couple of guys on this card that uh, i i enjoy uh you know watching the fight uh you know i'll, I'll put my tampa blinders on along cruise uh, you know making his bellator debut taking on bobby king that's a nice matchup at 155 pounds uh kai kamaka third is another one that's always uh, a guy that i've always enjoyed uh watching the fight uh and uh you know Lynn, Lynn mcfarlane and just and you know she's Clearly, she's made it known that uh, this is the uh, the retirement tour. She's going to do two more fights, and then she's going to walk away uh, from the sport. She's and she's one of my favorite interviews in the sport, just because I always felt like every time I interviewed her, I learned something new about her. Yeah, she's great. She's someone I can see that's just a broadcaster for the Bellator um, deal. Um, did she already retire before? Uh, she she talked she she's openly talked about retirement. Uh, you yeah, know, and, and I think the biggest take the biggest really news article that's been out with her, and and I know she's talked about this in a couple interviews, are just basically about how she loves the not being a champion life and and not having to do all the things you have to do when you're a champion. Look, here's the thing. I think for Ali Malay, you got to do one. You got to book one fight for her retirement fight. It's got to be. In Hawaii, rematch uh, versus Katie Castro. I think you got to come full circle. <laughs> Yo, you know Katie Castro, who's the soccer mom that Ali Malay yes. beat? She had two fights before her fight against Ali Malay. She I, has I, an 0-3 record. I just, I just went to her topology to see if there had been anything else. I, I'll never forget. Um, this was, this, was early, this might have been like after Bellator had signed Alima, maybe she had one, maybe, maybe two fights. In it. And we, and, and somehow it, you know, because it was one of those things that I remember interviewing her and, and I never wanted the whole soccer mom video to be like a big part of this, the, the interview. And I remember she told me, uh, being on a, a job interview and it, she was interviewing for a waitress position and the guy, the guy interviewing goes, Hey, aren't you that girl that beat up the soccer mom? Dude, and, and the poor thing about Ali Malay is that she's not the only one who beat up the soccer mom and not the only one who did it in 30 seconds. In fact, when I look up her first opponent, um, Christy Lopez, she's labeled as the soccer mom killer. So I'm having like a Nelson Mandela effect. Apparently, Christy Lopez is also known as a soccer mom killer. And now I'm just trying to find this fight and, and watch it. Um, so this that, is crazy. That I, call, I call that going down the topology rabbit hole. Yeah. Like, yeah, like no, it's one of my go-tos on topology is always to look up Jay Ellis. They've been up to lately. Jay Ellis recently lost another fight. Uh, Jay Ellis now has a 108 losses. Oh my God! He uh, he lost back in March uh, March 18th, so less than a month ago, against Jack Coglin. 
uh, to fall to 16 wins and 108 losses. Uh, the last time he won a fight was back in 2021 against Rodrigo Almeida, uh, which was a first round uh, submission win. But then, and, but then prior to that, you got to go back to 2017. <laughs> it, it's just it, it's one of these rabbit holes you go down. There's there's certain fighters that I just know have very upside down records, and I'm always like, I, and I remember this was years ago. I was having I was having a conversation with a matchmaker about JLs. I go. All right, you got you got to let me know why why do you book this guy? And the response to me was, you, he goes, the one thing you know about Jay Ellis, Jay Ellis ain't pulling out. He is showing up regardless. Damn. Damn. But it, the crazy the crazy thing is, and I mean to go through 108 losses, it, but some of the names there's a lot of recognizable names that people will recognize. Just last year, he lost to Don Shanus, who I want to say just got released by the UFC. Uh, other notable names that people would know as I kind of scroll down here. Uh, Shanti Barnes, people may or may not know his name. I, I'm, I'm familiar uh, with him. I mean, pretty much anyone in Northeast of name has likely fought him at some point. Peter Barrett, who had been in the UFC, uh, he fought him at one time. Uh, Joe uh, Giannetti uh, fought him. Zach Otto. Uh, fought him all the way back in 2016. I'm, I'm at 26. Dan Moret, who, who's uh, been Colby Covington, beat him in 2014. Jesus, Colby Covington was four no at that point in his career. This is crazy. Joe yeah, Merchart, yeah. Rocco Martin, Johnny Case. Do you already say Pettis? No, I did not. Anthony Pettis, Pat Curran. <laughs> this is crazy. I mean, yeah. Okay, so like, how is he not getting better? <laughs> Dude, I just it, it's one of these things that you, you look at that and you just go why is a commission approving it like that that to me there are guys that come to point where commission's got to go no we're, we're just not going there yeah like um he's basically like there he's basically only won one fight in his last 30 uh I, I, I ain't gonna only, lie yeah. there is part of me that would be fascinated fascinated to interview with JLs you should do it. I mean, for how amazing would it be if he just has a career turnaround and he just uh, goes to the UFC? But like, there's uh, been fighters like that. That you know what they they've got a 500 record, then something. I don't know, bro. He doesn't have a 500 record. My man Jay Ellis has a seven percent record. <laughs> it's sixteen and one oh nine, dude. Dude, there there I is. Like- uh, God, I'm trying. There's another fighter's name. God, I can't. But he's got kind of a very similar. Yeah, um, oh God, I, I can think of his last name. Uh, Drew Lipton. Now it's nowhere near Jay Ellis, but he's six and thirty-one. Yeah, it's a it's a start, but he's and he's actually coming off a win in kickboxing. You see, that should be the next season of the Ultimate Fighter. You have to have a differential of over 20 losses to wins. And that's the house. Just a bunch of people who have more than 20 wins and loss, 20 losses than wins. And then we'll see who actually wins the house. He lost 20 in a row in boxing, MMA, BKFC before he got that kickboxing win back in August of 2022. That must've been just so great. But this is, I mean, like, look, these are, but these are the guys that will constantly get booked for fights. Yeah. 
because they show up or maybe they sell a few tickets, one or the other, maybe both. Dude, on the regional scene, if you can sell tickets, man, you're going you're going to get booked for fights. I mean that that's just that that's the reality of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we Absolutely. haven't talked about the U- the UFC fight card. Um, you know, obviously Pavlovich. Uh, you know, can he stop the takedown? That's going to come to you know. I could very easily see him not in knocking out Curtis Boys, but I would expect Curtis Boys is going to just ragdoll. I mean that you know that would be my expectation. Yeah, yeah, but you know, in a twenty-five minute fight, that's a lot of opportunity for Pavlovich to catch Curtis. Mm-hmm. Curtis could also catch Sergey. I mean, this could be a rock'em sock'em. One dude goes down real quick in an exchange. I'm gonna pick Pavlovich to beat Curtis Blades in this fight. That's just an extended period of time. I've been really, really impressed with with, with Sergey, and so I think at some point he gets the finish. But I mean. Could Curtis just dismantle him with the takedown in the wrestling? Absolutely. It's and we had someone um, once to a show earlier today. Basically said, "Hey, is is the winner of this matchup basically putting themselves right there as essentially the number one contender behind Stipe Miocic?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's probably the reality of it." I mean, Curtis Blades has always been there. Um, you know, look if he he very well easily could just wrestle F. Sergey Pavlovich for 25 minutes. That's the way it goes. Um, you know, other things that, that stick out, I think Jeremiah Wells, Matthew Schmelzberger will be a fun fight to watch. Um, you know, looking at some other ones, uh, Usman Tafa, I mean, look, it, it's kind of the, the lower end of the UFC heavyweight division, but I would imagine someone's going to get knocked out in, in that matchup. Who knows? Maybe Tafa's really good. Um, He's definitely better than his brother. Yeah, well... Who knows? Maybe he's gonna be another Australian, um, Australian star. He's born in New Zealand, but he was fighting out of Australia. Uh, and, and Usman's obviously a vulnerable opponent. Um, that season, the Ultimate Fighter wasn't great, but we'll, we'll see. That one I'm actually kind of interested in. You know, got a, you know, Hani Yaya is always a fun fighter to watch. She's taking on Montel Jackson. I think. Um, I think Bobby Green and Jared Gordon's a pretty good fight too, but overall, this is a weak fight night card. Uh, this is one of those fight night cards that you can tell is in the apex. But you remember and, they, they uh, lost they lost the Ricky Simone Song Yudong fight because that got moved to next week to be the main event because they lost the Sarukian Moncano fight. Is next week also in the apex? Yeah. Get out of the apex. Get out. Get. Look, this is like the first card in the apex in like a month and a half. I know, but now it, it, it's like me, you know, I, I moved out and then I came back to my parents' house and I just haven't left, okay? You get comfortable. Get the hell out of there. Jesus. But- now, you know, the UFC 288 fight card uh, got updated last week and, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely saw a lot of uh, people going, yeah, not really enjoying putting down 80 bucks to watch that thing. I mean, so we got uh, so you got Aljo and, and Cejudo, the main event, great main event between those two guys. Uh, your new co-main event, Jessica Andrade oh. versus Jan Janan, Mozart yeah. Evola versus Bryce Mitchell, Cron Gracie, Charles Jordan, Drew Dober, Matt Frivola. What happened, UFC? What? Happened? Well, you remember they you lost the we- they lost the New Bronx and Darius fight because the Bronx pulled out. Yeah, that makes sense. No love for Marina Rodriguez. She's just uh, on the prelims over there against Verna Janderuba. That's a, I mean. Marina's a damn good star. I'll wait. She was on the verge of fighting for a championship until she lost her last fight. But, you know, she's not going to make up for Oliveira and Darius. Um, which fight got moved up? I'm sorry. Was it Gracie and Jordan that got moved up or Dober and Frivola? 
Uh, Dober and Favola. That was initially on the prelims. Interesting. Yeah, no, this is um, this is a weak fight card. Um, Kron comes up after losing his last fight to Cub Swanson, but um, I guess he's someone that the UFC really believes in at featherweight. I mean, the the, the last name has a lot of value. Maybe he's going to be the best Gracie since Hodger Gracie in MMA. Um, Dober and Favola. The thing is, you know that's going to be a badass fight. I think at the end of the day, the problem with the UFC 288 is that there just isn't another fight that's super interesting other than mm-hmm. Sterling Cejudo. There's not another pay-per-view quality fight. But to me, Sterling Cejudo gets me excited enough to watch the fight card. But Aren't they also going up against a Canelo pay-per-view? Well, it's May the 6th, so I would, I'm sure they are. I'm sure because he always fights on Cinco de Mayo, and I know he does have a matchup. So, yeah, they are screwed. Why on earth would they do this? Why would you run up for as long as Canelo's fighting? They should never be running on May the Cinco de Mayo weekend. Well, I want to, I, I almost want to feel like Dana and I had kind of talked about they were trying to work on doing a Mexico card on the on this date, and then it and just then never just came together. Couldn't get enough pesos for the site fee. Uh, hey, look, it's a UFC business model, people can hate it, but that's, I mean, they're obviously doing well, something that, right. Well, they're really good at making money, uh, and and they are doing that right. But man, that would have been a special moment to to get that to happen. But uh, look, uh, I got to issue an apology, public right. apology. We've we've never, you know, Dana admits when he's wrong all the time, except for never. And um, I will make an apology. Uh, I was wrong. I want to apologize to Sadabusi, who got a finish in his last fight. <laughs> I talked a lot of trash about how boring he is, and Sadabusi didn't fight on his back foot that often. He kind of was actually moving forward throughout his fight against uh, Jura Al-Salawi, and he landed a nasty knee to his body, literally smiled at the dude as the dude backed off and finished him. So I want to publicly apologize. Sadabusi, you had a nice finish. Yeah. My bigger man. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I just, I wanted to, I wanted to set the record straight. Hey, hey tell you, you're not the only one that was railing on top of the I pretty much feel like everyone, you know, the fact that the PFL put him on the prelims or the postlims, I guess you would say, would tell you exactly the way the PFL thinks of him. I'm, I'm, I guess yeah. that point of like, why did you bring him back if you really don't want to be in that business? I know, right? He's just going to win the tournament again, which he might win the tournament again. He's a pretty good welterweight, but I think my money's going to be on Magomed, Magomed Karamov. Hey, man. Uh-huh. God bless anyone who can get that PFL payday. God bless you. Ooh, ooh, million bucks, you know, uh, minus whatever the tax man takes out of that, which is probably, what, like 400 grand? Probably, yeah, yeah, you're in that 36, 40% range. Yeah, that sucks. Still Taxes. nice payday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice payday. But yeah. Look, C can't make a million dollars in the UFC. Let's just let's just call it what that is. Oh yeah. Sabadusi is coming in and making twelve and twelve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so you're. That's so true. That is so true. He is never leaving the PFL um, by choice. That, I mean, look. Yeah. That, that's why you go to the PFL. If you, I mean, like, unless you're a UFC fighter, then you're just going to lose. That will happen. You will just, although Oliver OAM was a former UFC fighter, yeah. so I digress. Never mind. But I think it's it's also a sign of, it's just another example of how much talent there is in, in the sport that just because you are 
you know, a top 15 fighter in the UFC does not automatically mean that you're just going to go dominate in another promotion. Yeah, bro. Like, look, KSW has got a got an internet pay per view, and they have this dude, uh, Walter Waite, Adrian Bartosinski. According to Tapology, he's the third ranked Eastern European welterweight. He's thirteen and zero. Who knows how good this guy is, right? He's twenty seven years yeah. old. Who knows if he could go into the UFC right now and be a top ten welterweight? Uh, his his. his uh, I'm looking at his resume, dude. This dude hasn't gone to a decision since like his second fight. He's won every fight via finish since his second fight. So like this dude who we don't know anything about, Adrian Bartosinski, who knows? Maybe he's like the fifth best wall toy in the world. Well, he's fighting this weekend in KSW. You never know. You never know. But I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, there's so much I mean, you can take in. CFFC's here in Tampa tonight. I'm not going to be able to get to that show. Um, LFA's got a show on Friday night. There's so much MMA you could, you could take in. Yeah, and again, it's literally one fight night, LFA, KSW, two Bellator shows, and a UFC. Um, it's it's a there's a lot on the on the docket if you're a hardcore mixed martial arts fans. I mean, I I really don't ever pay any attention to the LFA shows, but I really should because I mean they are literally a feeder system to the UFC, right? Like you, you well, look at LFA. Um, Jarrell Hodge, who had recently won the interim bantamweight title, he just actually signed with Bellator. Did he really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's very surprising. But, you know, that is actually very shocking to me because it does seem like it was a straight pipeline from LFA to the UFC. Oh, I, don't, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think that – I do think there is a percentage of fighters that are very open-minded to competing outside the UFC in either a Bellator or, or a, a, a PFL. I mean, look, if you, yeah. can get the, if you can get that PFL back, you get in the PFL tournament, I think there's no question you go to PFL. Yeah, you can literally go win a million dollars and build your brand and then come into the UFC like Justin Gaethje with a, a much stronger deal. Uh-huh. It's, a great, it's a great situation. If I was a big believer in my talents that I was one of the best fighters on the planet, it would be a no-brainer. I would sign a deal with the PFL. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. I mean, if you, you can get that payday, I mean, just look at the fighters that have been able to get that payday. I mean, God, God bless them. But, uh, but yeah, man, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Uh, I'll be catching most of this MMA uh, after the fact. So, uh, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Anything else you want to mention, Dale, before we get out of here? Uh, not much. It's good luck to your Tampa Bay Lightning. My Dallas Stars are in the playoffs. And, uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully we, um, we meet down the line. Maybe we'll meet down in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I I would love for that to happen, but I don't think we're gonna get that far. I really don't. <laughs> uh, hockey's random as hell, bro. It's like a two heavyweights going down. I'm telling you what, even if you're not an NHL fan, playoff hockey is just a different. It's a it's a different breed. Like it's 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 super. Uh, it's enjoyable. I, I love I love this time of year with you know the NBA wow. and NHL playoffs going on. But yeah, but when it comes then, to the like, NHL playoffs, the- if the Lightning are not on, I'm not watching. I'm just being honest. Yeah, well, the thing is, it's like if the stars aren't on, I'm not watching just because like I'm going to put on the NBA games like that's a little more interesting to me. But if there's no NBA games, I'll put on the NHL games. But yeah, it's a beautiful time of year to be a sports fan. Honestly, there's stuff year round, but 
I, cause I always say, it, I'm like, oh, the, the first week of the NFL playoff or the second week of the NFL playoffs, oh, this is the best time of year for sports. Oh, March Madness, oh, this is the <laughs> best time of year for sports. But this is a really great time because we literally every night we have playoff games. And then during the day, there's always baseball on. MLB yeah. Network does an awesome job. I always turn on MLB Network just to have on in the background, and they always got some baseball on. Uh, I don't have MLB Network anymore because they're not on YouTube TV. <laughs> Oh man, they should really get that figured out because uh, yeah. a lot of people are on YouTube TV. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I've been a YouTube TV subscriber for years, and yeah, that price has skyrocketed. I remember mm. when I was paying like thirty bucks a month. Yeah, you should get cable. <laughs> well, it is not. It might be cheaper. More. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's like Jesus, like seventy-five bucks or eighty bucks a month. I don't know. Sometimes yeah. I go, why? If, they, if it wasn't for the live sports aspect, I just don't think I would pay for it. I really don't. They should make it to where you like they make it legal for you to split a service with your friend. Uh-huh. You should be like, can me and my friend go half and half on cable? <laughs> I do. I remember I looked, I, it was like a year ago. I was like, oh, let me see what cable. I was like, yeah, it's literally the same price at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's great for me because my parents pay for it, so I don't have to worry about it. But yeah, it must as be soon nice. as as soon as I move out, I'm probably going to become either YouTube TV or just Hulu, or yeah, one of the one or the other, Hulu or YouTube TV. It seems like Hulu is pretty good with yeah. the, the channels they offer. Yeah, no doubt about it. But that is going to do it for this episode of podcast. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, no uh, Sunday edition of the podcast. Come up here in the next couple of days. Mix something Dan. We'll be back in the middle of next week to get you uh, talk about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. 